Let's get right to it. Let's go to our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 19. We're going to be reading beginning at verse 8 through verse 20. Paul is on his third missionary journey, and he's back in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, beginning now at verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that day before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the way, uh, sorry, and this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews' exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. There were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was, leap, was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And God had a special blessing in reading his word. Let's just pause for prayer before we begin our study together. Father God, we're here, excited and desirous to know more of you from the word. Father, we thank you for those that have gathered this morning, that you would be with them, their families. And Father, you know their challenges, you know the things that are going on in their lives even better than they do. Put your arms around them, lift them up, let them know that you are fully and completely God, and to be still and know that you are God. Father, we also, at these moments that we have prepared to study the Word, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher exclusively. We would ask that the things that you bring us into, Father, that it would change us, make us more of what you want us to be. As we look into the image of Jesus Christ, that we would be more like him every single day. Thank you now as we go forward with anticipation, seeing how our hearts will be closer to you because of Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. Well, the book, uh, book of Acts has proven to be uh, a bridge, if you will, or a connection point, an unfolding, a verification, a validation of everything that Jesus came in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the continuation was Jesus has left, the Holy Spirit has come, the Comforter, the one that lives within every single one of us that have accepted Christ as Savior. That's, I don't know, that, that's, that's the greatest news I could actually give to you right now. God lives within you if you're a Christian. And we need that today. <laughs> it's a crazy world out there. Well, we find some things here in this passage today that is, uh, one more, learn me, I know I ask you every week, but please put that map back up. Let's find where Paul is traveling. <clears throat> and on his third missionary journey, that would be the orange line. 
So he has, and it goes rather quickly, he was in Antioch. Why did he, and from Jerusalem, remember last week, we should back up for just a moment. Uh, last week, he, he was actually in uh, Sancria, which would have been just the seaport of Corinth. And he has taken a vow. And it was completed. We don't know the length of time, but it was one of which probably was thanksgiving for the gospel to continue. Uh, Gallio, which was a, a very, just a Roman guy, right, a governor of that area, and he actually defended Paul against the Jews. It was an amazing thing, actually. So Paul was certain, and if that, if that would have been ruled or judged against him in Sancria, we probably would have seen the European, uh, what we would say, the evangelization to completely have been stymied for a long period of time because it would have silenced Paul. He would have had to have left there and anything else regarding him. So it was a great thing. So he probably took a, a, a vow. It was, our, our message last week was deeper than all of that, but suffice it to say, he had to get home. So he goes from Sancria, this was on the second journey, and he ends up for a short time in Ephesus. He drops off Aquila and Priscilla. It's like dropping them off, was there for a little bit, the church is just beginning, and then they want him to stay longer. Now when's the last time on any of those trips that people have wanted him to stay longer? Not so much. In fact, they wanted to get rid of him because he was too bold in Christ. They didn't want to know anything about him. Well, he said, I'll be back. Lord willing, I'll be back. And so he goes off to Jerusalem, completes his vow. Then he goes back to the headquarters of a church in Antioch. That's really where, the, where that was at. That was where he was from. That was where the Gentile church honestly would have been headquartered. From the orange line now, you'll see that it went, he went back to visit some of the, the other churches He's, he's crisscrossing across here, and here he ends up in Ephesus. So that's where our story, our story, history, it's not just a story, it's history that literally took place. This historical event that we read last week, beginning, and now will we'll continue, takes place in Ephesus. Ephesus was a place that was, uh, I would have to say, probably the most, um, what do you want to say, theme-oriented. It was a powerful, powerful center in all of this Asia country. Uh, in, the, in the province of Lydia. Very, 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 very powerful place. The thing it was known for probably more than anything else was the worship of, of Artemis or of Diana, depending on Greek would have been Artemis, Roman would have been the Diana. Um, it was, she was the goddess of hunt. Uh, you'll also see in some places where it talks about a, Apollo. Okay? Apollo was a brother in the mythology to, to the goddess just Diana. Okay? So you'll see some of that connection. But it was a huge, huge temple. It was a major component of the economy, which we'll see probably next week. We're not going to get that far. But Paul was engaging in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in a place where there have been extreme levels of false gods, of demonic worship, of occultism, you name it, it's there. We're gonna, the word, this is the only time it ever appears in Scripture, is exorcist. Now, when I say the word exorcist in the society we have today, all kinds of things come up to your mind, right? This is the one place in Scripture where it shows up. Okay? And we're going to be talking about it throughout the day. What is exorcism? Is it true or is it false? And that is to dispel a demon through a ritual. I mean, that's probably the simplest you can break it down. Uh, one of the things that I would be interested in, who is able to do an exorcism? I'm not going to answer the question. You can think about it for a moment. And then the other part of all of this is, is really, if, if there's a key verse to all of this, it's the last I'm going to read it again because this really, of what we read today, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I will just say this right now. If the, if the word of God mightily or is mightily spoken and is caught, it will prevail in the Ruby Valley, in Twin Bridges, in Los Angeles, in San Francisco, in Saskatchewan, wherever it is, any place in the world where the mighty word of God is held to the highest esteem, it will prevail and the world will be changed. And there should have been a hallelujah, but there wasn't. But that was on your part. 
That's really what this is all about. All of Ephesus. Now, Paul was there for three years. Think of that. Usually he's someplace for three weeks and he's kicked out. I love the fact that he spoke with boldness as well. Let's go to our text now. In fact, uh, it means a little bit more if we go and let's look at, we'll be looking at Ephesians as well, because that's where he's at, and he's writing letter back to Ephesians later on. But in uh, chapter 19, and in verse 8, it says, He went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. He's doing business in the synagogue, speaking again to whom? Mostly Jews. That's always, every place he goes, it was like that he gave them first shot. It was like Jesus, really, too, wasn't it? There was a point, and you get into the latter part of Matthew, and he finally, he just says, he looks over Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would that you would come unto me as a mother hen would have gathered her her chicks, but you would not. And that was really the last, it was just like turning away, even Jesus, turning away from those that should have known him. But Paul always started in every city he went to the synagogue to give the message to the Jews. For three months, I'm thinking, now that word is boldly. That's like persuasively. That's like bringing a game. That's like on fire. No mealy mouth kind of a message that no one can, like they are today. You know, you can't take a, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Not, we're supposed to be very tolerant. Unless you're a Christian, you can't be tolerant of Christianity. That's the only thing you can't be tolerant of. That's our world today. That's wokeness. Supposed to be taller. Everything else is so lovey dovey. Unless you're a Christian, you're a loser. You're biased. You should be, right? You guys are smiling because that's what it is. It's really true. Paul took a very strong position to, uh, to preaching Jesus Christ, as he always did. This isn't new, but let's take a look at something. Hold your spot here now. Let's go to the book of Ephesians for a moment. And he actually continues to ask them in Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 19, I believe it is. Yeah, let's, uh, let, let's, it, it's the ending of putting on the spiritual realm, which we're going to be talking about. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. But watch what he asks for in verse 19. We'll start in 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, semicolon, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That's Paul's prayer. He's doing it boldly in, in, in Ephesus, and he's telling Ephesians, keep praying for me that the boldness would persevere, that people would perceive the importance of Jesus. Well, it was going to happen at some point, and it took three months, which is an amazingly long time, honestly. But in verse 9, it says, but when divers, are, there were those that were hard, their hearts were hardened and believed not. Hardening of the heart. We've heard of hardening of the arteries. Hardening of a heart is much more serious, serious consequence. It's, it's the most dangerous thing, actually, of any health condition that I can think of. Now, this is spiritual health I'm, I'm defining, but hardening of the heart. Now, that's something that does not just happen, boom. It's not like that. I'd like you to think of Pharaoh back in uh, Egypt with the ten plagues. And if you get about, I, I, I've chose, not that I chose, I just ran out of time. But somewhere along the line, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And if you pick it up there, you'd say, that doesn't seem fair. You started the first and second uh, plagues. Guess what? Who hardened his heart? Pharaoh did. And you know what? There's a line. I don't know. In this case, it was either the fourth or fifth plague. You can check me. I, I, I didn't look. But somewhere in the middle of that, God said, you're right. You are hardening your heart. It's too late. It's too late. Now, that's a, that is amazingly 
cautionary flag for anyone right now that's living under the gospel of Jesus Christ that just takes it in and blows it off. You know what happens? Hardening of the heart gets worse and more progressive every single time you hear the gospel and don't adhere to it. That's biblical. I remember a man, I don't know his state, but as I was a young boy growing up, this is in Tuttle, North Dakota. And his wife was a dear Christian lady, and his, her husband would come, and he would, he would just sit there and listen to the gospel, and he was against it. I pray that he opened his heart to Jesus Christ before he passed away. But it's dangerous to sit under the gospel and refuse to accept it. That is the beginning of the hardening of the heart. Well, these Jews listened for three months. They heard the gospel, full-blown, bold, without question, and their hearts were hardened. They believed not. In fact, they refused to believe. I, I think of how many people I run across that, again, God can change them. The Holy, if, you, if you want to get to someone, it's not words you say. It's praying to the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit would take that heart and melt it. He knows how to do that. He knows how to do that. You can speak words of truth, and that's your job. You are to proclaim the gospel, but it comes by hearing. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Your job is to share the word of God. And, and that, to me, I still say. There's, I've had you know, young men and women, particularly young men, would come to me and say, you know, what, what do you, how do you, I said, the, the bottom line, the first thing is, is you speak as the foundation is the Bible. If they don't believe the Bible, there is nothing else you have to stand on. Now, if they're interested, go ahead and take a study and prove to them or let them prove to themselves, which is even more important, that the Bible is true. Anyone that's taken that task and has parted the sides of all, the, all of those things that are, that are, shall we say, other people's comments, other people's study. If you really, I think of C.S. Lewis. He's still the grand one, probably as an intelligent man as ever walked this, this earth. And he took on the Bible to prove that it was total heresy. And when he got done... He said, I came kicking and screaming to God because it's true. He didn't like it, but it was true. See, at least he was honest. And anyone that is really seriously wants to know if the Bible is true, if they're honest, they will find that it is. Once you know the Bible is true, that's the place you, everything gets stacked on this. That's why there was miracles. The miracles, see, now in Paul's day right here in Acts, Paul couldn't say, now I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, and I want to show you how to put on the armor of God. It wasn't there, right? We have so many blessings. You can crack open your Bible and you can note it's 66 books written by 40 different people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it is absolutely true and complete. There's nothing that's not there. I'm glad of that. I don't have to figure that out. That's why today you can hear things on the Internet. I read something this week. Somebody sent me on Telegram which is a, you know, a platform that's kind of an alternative. And uh, it was, this person was using the Bible, saying that we were in the tribulation period, and it was going to end in 2024 when Trump was reelected. That was the end of the tribulation. I just, I'm click, I'm done. That, that's, do you know what the first sign of the tribulation is? No one's talking about this, because it hasn't happened. Are you ready? Let's just take just a second. We'll be right back to this. But this is important because there's people wondering, has the tribulation started? Is it going? You know, you, there's all kinds of little snippets you can pull and you can make it work. But there's something that's going to happen at the very first seal that's cracked open. And the Lord Jesus is the only one qualified to take, if you will, the scroll of the universe, the ownership of the universe back. The first seal is popped open. And he's the only one allowable to do that. And this is what it says. 
There's not anything. This has happened. It's not going on. You tell me. Let's go to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. Now, verse, ch- chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation are speaking about things in heaven, which I believe are taking place just at the point of the rapture. But in chapter 6 of Revelation begins, if you will, things on earth regarding the tribulation. Verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened, that's Jesus Christ, opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, there are certainly signals, there, there is symbolism there, but first of all, when you see a white horse, you have peace. It's a time of peace. It will be a time that probably will be unparalleled in the sense of its appearance. Now, did you notice something? The man that was riding the, the horse could not be Jesus Christ because he's the one opening the seals. This is the Antichrist. He's the one that's going to be prominent at this point. He has a bow, but what doesn't he have? There's no arrows. I don't know how effective you are shooting things without arrows. If you just have a bow, you can snap and twang that baby all day long, and nothing really happens. It would be a picture of peace worldwide that he is offering. Now, I don't know about you folks right now. I don't see that right now. That's the first seal of the tribulation. Are we in it? No! <laughs> and anybody would keep reading, which we're not going to do it now. There's going to be you know, another study. But I'll tell you what, you go from peace to war to famine to death. And I'm talking one-third of the population wiped out. No, we don't know what tribulation is. That's my point in all of this. I hear these, these tribulationalists that are talking about where we are, and we've had so much tribulation. And No, 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 no. You don't even have an idea. But here's the thing I'm waiting and looking for. Well, actually, I don't have to wait and look for anything. That's what's really cool. The rapture is the next component. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. We're going to be caught in the air, and that can happen before I end this sentence. There's nothing remaining for that to happen. Now, after that happens, I think part of the whole peace thing, this is speculation, is when all the Christians are gone, the non-Christians say, finally, now our life will get better. We have these losers out of here. We can do anything we want to go. Now we really can truly live for the sake of mankind. We really truly can see the evolution of humans to the fullest content they could possibly get. And we're together on this. I really believe that's how that peace environment is going to be. I sold it a little bit to you, didn't I? Christians are the problem. Read the forums. Read everything you want to read. Christians are the problem. And God's going to reach down and we're going to meet Jesus in the air. I'm actually really ready for that. (laughs) But in the meantime, we're to occupy. Don't take this time lightly. Redeem it. Get get, get serious. At any rate, that was a bit of a, but that was just a warm-up because right now, anybody tells you we're in the tribulation? Where's the peace? Where Where was it at? You go back in history. Where was the peace? Thank you. (laughs) There isn't any. There's wars all the time. Back to our text. That was a little rabbit trail we took, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't help it. I, I read that, this, and I can, you can find anything you want to read today of people that supposedly are biblical in their basis, and it's totally off the wall. My point in using it today was, it's just like exorcism, casting demons out. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. Should I say it one more time? Yeah. A joke! Because <laughs> when I see that witches are shamans, are occultists, 
gone on through the line. Those are capable of exercising demons. Wait a minute. They're all the same. It's a game. It's a game. We'll get into it in a moment. Here's Paul, three months, boldly speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. Boldly speaking. They've had it. Their hearts are hardened. They're upset. They spoke evil of that, of that way. And remember what Jesus, this is why I always think of in Acts, you find it as being described as the way, a capital W. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The way. And that was what it was about, was Jesus Christ. Well, they're speaking evil of Jesus before the multitude, and he, Paul, departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing, again, that would be providing evidence, if you will, daily, daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years. Now, there's other historians that write about life in Ephesus, okay? Um, Typically, their schedule was a bit different. It would be more like on a Phoenix, Arizona type thing. Uh, You will work till, in this case, it was thought they would work until 11 in the morning, knock off, go take a nap, whatever, slip inside, and wait till 4 o'clock. So it would be a five-hour off time, if you will, as a time to rest, to relax, to take care and get ready for after 4 o'clock. And you know how that works. I mean, that's, that's the hottest part of the day. Well, guess when the school of Tyrannus was available to Paul? From 11 to 4. <laughs> now, this is really good, though. What I like about it is, for two years, every single day, from 11 to 4, he taught the gospel of Jesus, the kingdom. It says the kingdom of God. Now, don't make that any less than what it really is. It's all about Jesus. The kingdom of God is all about Jesus. He's going to rule and reign. He suffered and died so that we could actually enter into the king. That whole business, that whole era is about Jesus. And he would teach for five hours every single day. Now, it tells me a couple things. First of all, his commitment. It's amazing. Paul was, a, I mean, what an animal, right? What a beast for the gospel. He taught day, and in another verse, which I don't remember right now, he taught day and night. It's in Acts. Where would he go at night? He would go to houses. When did he do his tent work? Well, probably the same time when everybody else worked, right? Probably from early morning until 11 o'clock. Shut her down. Let's go to to the school of Tyrannus. Let's start talking about Jesus. Now, the other thing that's interesting to me, most of the city would have been inside snoozing, taking it easy, relaxing. The ones that came to Paul were desirous of hearing the word. That's why for two full years, they wanted to hear about Jesus. You see the difference? You know what wasn't happening? They were not having a condition called heart hardening. They were learning a whole lot about Jesus Christ. That's why I'm hoping you guys are here as well, is you're desirous to learn more and more about Jesus Christ, being, to manifest the fullness of the Word of God. That's what this life is truly all about, to magnify the Word of God. And think of, think of that, and you think, I speak a long time? And I'm, by the way, I'm not moving to a five-hour service, so just relax, take it easy. Just, thank you. you. Just say it out loud, Yvonne. Thank you. Exactly. It was a voice of the entire But the point is, can you imagine how dynamic Paul must have been to have, and, and I'm not, again, just knowing how Paul would have been, or, or that, hey, if you can only be here for an hour, great. Go do your thing. But you'll tell you what, the hour you were there, the two hours or three hours in a full five-hour package, Every single day. How would, you know what? That's why I'm saying after two years, now think of this for a moment. We can rehearse or we can go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Chapters 2 and 3, I'm sorry. What I'm getting at, um, 
Name for me the, some of the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and, verse, and chapter 3. Just go ahead. Laodicea. Laodicea. Where's Laodicea? Right there. Remember, Ephesus is right here. How about another one? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Right there. Smyrna. Right there. Thyatira. Right there. When do you think those churches were started? In those two years. I guarantee it. Can you imagine two years of Paul every single day speaking at a school for five hours? You want to get a Bible training. That's the deal, right? Isn't that good stuff? Just look what, now, he didn't visit any one of those areas. I shouldn't say anyone, but most of them he didn't. You know why he didn't have to? Because he was teaching fluently in Ephesus. And those people that heard him for that period of time were directed by God to take off and go. Started a church. Started a church. Now, the sad part is, if you go to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, they don't end on a good note, do they? The responsibility is amazing how individualistic it is. Your grandmother could pray for you, but your grandmother can't save you. Your grandfather could guide you and direct you. Your father could guide and direct you. They could steer you, but they cannot save you. It's very, very important to the church today in America. We're here because we've chosen to lose ground. We've chosen to turn our backs on God. We've chosen to worship the creature rather than the creator as a nation. It's not, we're responsible for that. It's just, and again, leads into the fact, I'm going to keep tapping into this demonic expulsion, which there were several sons of Sceva which had made a profession of it. They were professional exorcists. That's actually what the text says. So now does that mean they believe in themselves? Well, sure they do. Absolutely. That's not the point. They didn't believe it. But were they effective? Honestly, no. Again, it's a joke. Because think about this. Did they know Jesus Christ? I'm talking about the seven sons of Sceva. No, in fact, let's read it. Let's just keep bouncing back and forth. That's okay. Keeps you in it. It says, then certain... Verse, verse 13, of the vagabond Jews, exorcists. That means they do this for a living. Took upon them to call over them which had, which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, I want to stop there. Let's go back and figure it out. How did they come up with this? Now, did you notice what they said? We adjure you by the name of Jesus Christ in whom we believe? No. In whom Paul preaches. They're just using this as a gimmick. This is something, remember Acts chapter 8? Acts chapter 8, we had this guy that wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Boy, that would be something, huh? Why don't you walk? You know what? Here's the sad part in America. If you actually put it on a sign and you said, buy the Holy Spirit here, nobody would even want it. That's how far we've come. Now, Simon wanted to use it as a ploy to, to pilfer money from people. And what did Paul do? He said, you will die with your money. You can't buy the Holy Spirit. It's just like these men. They were trying to use the name of Jesus Christ. They were looking for a formula. They were looking for a formula to use to pilfer money from victims. And that's the right word. Think of someone that's demon-possessed or demonized, influenced by, the, by, the, by demons. Now, we've talked several weeks ago. If you're a Christian you're here today, the chances of you being possessed, possessed, that's owned, possessed by a demon is zero. Zero. Can you be influenced? Certainly. In fact, we're going to see something that's very, very interesting. This, the way, the way God used this, I'm going to say the sons of Sceva, 
and what happened to them and this fear that God used to put in their lives, there were Christians and also non-Christians that believed then because of the power and the magnification of Jesus Christ himself to literally come clean. See, you can be a Christian and you can have those pockets, those rooms that are off limits. You know, you've got the key, but Jesus doesn't. The Holy Spirit can't go in there. This is non-admittance. You've got all probably have a room like that, whether you agree to it or not. In fact, it's probably got some spider webs on because there's stuff in there that's been in there a long time, and you'd rather not talk about it either, but you haven't got rid of it. Right? It's true. I mean, go ahead. You can nod. I don't even care if you don't nod because that's how our hearts are. We're still living in sin in the sense of living in the flesh. Our sins are forgiven. We've been declared not guilty, which praise God through Jesus Christ is permanent. That's a permanent condition. You have, if, you've been, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you are free and not condemned any longer. Praise God. Oh, I mean, that, whew, right? <sighs> I'm not fighting for my salvation. I'm accepting my faith what Jesus did for me. That's what it's about. But you know what? We still have those secret areas, those areas that are just a little bit, we just haven't confessed, right? And confession and repentance goes together. Now think with me for a moment. As I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep dipping my toe and dipping your toe into the sense of exorcism or demon possession or expulsion, okay? Let's say that, in fact, these sons of Sceva, which were, certainly were not Jesus' lovers, we know they weren't because it says they weren't. It says, they, we're, pre, we're, we're going to name Jesus Christ in whom Paul preaches. What, how effective would they be to cast demons out? By whose power? It's a game. In fact, Satan's in the middle of that game. Let's go ahead and find out how Satan works. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. This is everybody prior to... Salvation, Ephesians chapter 2. Amazing, it's in Ephesians, isn't it? Amazing. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's take a look at verses, we'll start in verse 1, but it's verse 2 that I'm really looking for. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, that's be made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, let me just stop for a moment. How much can a dead person do for themselves? That would be a zero, nothing. Okay, keep going. Wherein, verse 2, in time past you walked, you lived, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our, it says conversation in the King James, it would mean citizenship. You're citizens in this time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And you know what that says? You're children of Satan. You're fulfilling his will. He does it by two ways. Satan controls the world by two different ways. One is by literally information, what you receive. How many times have you actually spoken truth to somebody about Jesus Christ and there's just that blank stare? Deer in the headlights. That's from Satan. It's a delusion. He, he blinds their... In fact, let's look at that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. It's another, another good verse. These are verses that you, you, you should have at your, at your disposal as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. This is why things are the way they are. In verse 3, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Isn't that true? Absolutely true. He's blinded their eyes. 
He's keeping them from seeing the truth. That's literally how Satan controls the world today. Now, is every single non-Christian possessed by a demon? Really, think about it. Does it matter? It really doesn't matter. And does it matter whether someone is in... Just Okay, let's just say this. They haven't accepted Christ, and they're guilty of telling little white lies. You see where you guys went, and you might saw it. Well, that's not too bad. <laughs> I, I remember I had a missionary from, a, from a, what I would call a cult. I'll just name it that way. And we got into a discussion, and this young man said, uh, you know, we have to do our part. I said, okay, what part of salvation were you going to do? Well, we have to do our part. We have to, you know, have to live right, and we have to. I said, by whose power is that then? Well, you know, is it Jesus' power or your power? Because it's pretty important. You're not strong enough to escape death. Uh, well, we have to do our part. He just, you know, it, it, was, it was a train. It was like hit recording, right? Our playback. That's what would happen. And I said, well, is there a difference between murder, adultery, and telling a little tiny white lie? Oh, it's a big difference. <laughs> you know what? If you have not accepted Christ as Savior and you've told one little tiny white lie, now you're still a sinner by nature, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. You read that, anybody that reads that verse and comes up and says they're clean and innocent didn't read the verse, okay? You have one tiny little white lie, you know what? You're going to spend eternity in the same hell as the guy that's demon-possessed. That's my point. Demons are not the problem. Sin is the problem. You guys, now those of my vintage would probably remember there was a television comedian by the name of Flip Wilson, Younger people have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) But he had this, what made him famous, he was a black uh, comedian, and uh, one of the things he said was, the devil made me do it. (laughs) You know, he'd do something really bad, he said, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. (laughs) You did it all by yourself. He may have helped you, he may have, you know, whispered in your ear, and that's where Christians are vulnerable. Where do you hang out? Where do you spend your time? What are you yielding to? And see, we as, even we're Holy Spirit filled and owned, he dwells, do we yield? As you walk in the spirit, are you walking in the flesh or are you walking in the spirit? See, those secret little rooms that you'll sometimes go into and you pop the door and you go inside for a moment and you don't let the Holy Spirit in there, you're not confessing and repenting of the whatever's in there, you know what? You're vulnerable to influences of the demonic world or to Satan's devices, right? How about the, how about the spiritual warfare? Spiritual warfare. We're all subject to that. If you're a Christian here today, I guarantee you, you are in a war. I don't care if you think you are or not. You are in a war if you've trusted Christ as Savior. Guess who's responsible to put on the armor? Are you supposed to call 24 Christians together and cast demons out of you? Where is that in the Bible? In fact, it's not there. There is not one place where it says to cast demons out of one another. There's not one place. Not one place. Well, you say, why did, you know, Jesus, yes, absolutely Jesus did. There's three little periods of time in which there was supernatural. Now, did you see that? Let's go back to our text in Acts chapter, I think it's important. Acts chapter 19. Let's fill in these other two verses. He continued for two years, verse 10, and that all they, watch this, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. That's why I pointed out those churches. Where do you think that came from? Right there from that verse. Now watch verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, that's a special time. Because for a moment now, if Paul could do miracles at all times, guess who he might have done a miracle on himself? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 12, he had the thorn in the flesh. He said, I prayed about it three times. If Paul could do these miracles in and of himself, guess what I would have done if I was Paul? Boingy! And that tool of Satan would have escaped the door. 
But he didn't because it wasn't necessary. Guess what was happening? The validation of the word of God was now made clear and clean. The, the apostolic era, along with Jesus Christ, that was not by ritual. Now, what's an exorcism? It's a ritual. Sometimes they can take hours. They can take days. They can take sessions because you can charge more if you have more times of sessions. How did Jesus do it? Oh, 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 Mary, you've got seven of those bad boys in you. We're going to have to have seven different treatments. We'll start today. We will we'll cast one out, and then you come back next week at this time, and we'll do another. No, of course not. Demon expulsion by Jesus Christ was by authority. In fact, they knew who he was before he even mentioned it. Every single time. We know who you are. How did they know who he was? You know what? Those same demons that are demons today were one time. They only got one shot to get it right, and they got it wrong. When they were created, they were literally around the throne of God praising him. Praising him. You think they don't know who Jesus is? They know exactly who he is. In fact, in the one case, it says that they say, Thou art Jesus, are you here to destroy us? <laughs> they know the end. I wonder if they think it's fair that humans can resist Christ and resist Christ and resist Christ. And on a deathbed, make a full, complete confession of heartfelt faith and be saved. They got one shot. What if we got one shot? Ooh. <laughs> Miss that one. That's truly how, this, how, they, how the angels were. The angels, that's what they were originally. Now, it's interesting. How long have they known about Jesus? I don't know. But I know this much. Let's go to Job for a second. Because as you think about the creation of the universe as we see it, it would seem apparent that the angels, the demons, were actually created before that. How much before? I don't know. But let's go to Job chapter 38 for a moment. Job chapter 38. Job 38. <clears throat> let's see. And I believe we've got to get to verses 6 and 7, but let's, let's take a peek. Now, what's happening here in, in this discourse is God is asking Job some questions. And maybe I should just, for a moment, let's just, let's just stop. Don't read anything. Just stop for a moment. Um, Job, that's a, that to me is a glorious story. And this is where we as Christians, when someone's going through trials and troubles and tribulations, too often it's easy for us in our own mind to pop forward and to put in our, put in our mind we have what's, what's happened to the situation of this individual, right? We, we kind of like prejudge. And I'm not saying necessarily, you know, these, he's got his friends. They've come to conclusions, Job, buddy, old pal, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you have done something seriously wrong here. I mean, you've lost your family, and you've lost your flocks, and you've lost your herds, and you've lost your, you've lost everything, and even now your health, and, and, and you're trying to stand innocently? Come on. Right? That's how they approached it. And they were good when they didn't say anything, because they, they were actually consoling. Sometimes the best thing we can do for those in grief is to literally just give them a hug and be quiet. Just be there. Just, just, just let them release. Just soak, right? They open their mouth, and you know what happened to Job? Uh, no. I am innocent, by the way. And how much of the inside of the huddle between God and Satan had he been a part of? Nothing. That's what made it real, right? If, you, if he would have been inside and knowing that Satan and God had this conversation, and God said, you watch my servant Job. He's all in. He's all in. His faith is in me. And Satan said, you just watch. You just watch this. I'll push some buttons. He's done for. 
Now, if Job would have heard that conversation, it would have been fictitious. It's just like God saying to Adam and Eve, you will love me now. No, it doesn't work that way, does it? Love has to be volitional. It's a choice. It's part of your will, right? That's how it works. So Job knows none of this. Now he's got friends, quote unquote friends, who tell him that he's guilty. Have you ever had friends like that? Boy, that wouldn't have happened if you wouldn't have. See, you see, what does it do? It right away puts you on, de on defense. We as Christians need to allow our fellow brothers and sisters, and even non-Christians for that much, is to glorify God, lift him up, show him love, comfort, all of that sort of thing. But Job has now escalated to the point of where he thinks he's bigger than he is. He's asking God some questions, and God hasn't been answering. And all of a sudden in chapter 38, God reveals to him who he is. Doesn't ask why it happened. He says, Job, let me tell you who I am. That's what goes on. Now, watch what we're, we'll be, I'll, I'll point it out as we get there. Job chapter 38, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man. Grow up, let's see you. For I will demand of thee and answer thou me, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Remember what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4? He chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Where were you when I was building it all? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Did you see that? The angels were there at creation praising God for what he was making. That same demon that knew Paul and knew Jesus had been one at the throne of God before the fall. When Satan, for whatever reason they believed him, is beyond me. But he was a mighty created being. And a third of all of the angels, and how many is there? It's described the stars. We can't even count those. Those are innumerable. Talk about guardian angels for children. There's a massive number. Here's another thing that we hear. Have you heard this at funerals or whatever? Oh, he's got his wings. She's getting his wings. No. Angels are a separate created category. There is no more. There is no less. If God wants to create more, he'll make more. He does not need human beings to go to heaven and become angels. They do not have little harps and they have little wings and they play. No. Men and women are men and women. Angels are angels. And interestingly, the word that's always described to, to describe an angel is the masculine, he. There are never it or she. I don't know any more than that, but that's what the Bible says. Angels are interesting. These angels that became demons know exactly who Jesus is. They know exactly who he is. In fact, let's look at something. Let's go back to John chapter 8, verse 44, speaking of how Satan controls people. You don't have to be demon-possessed if you buy into the world system. How many buy into the world system? Everyone that doesn't know Christ, right? You are of your father, verse 44 of chapter 8. You are of your father, the devil. Your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Has it ever bothered you? I, I shouldn't say bother you, but it's interesting. I'm going to go through several. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, let's just do this first before I even go on. Let's, uh, let's go get your Bible. We're going to be in, uh, in the Gospels. Where did I write that down? Good question. Oh, yeah, here we go. Let's go to, uh, I spoke of, if you remember in Acts, we'll set ourselves up as you're, as you're getting ready to go. In Acts chapter 8, remember Simon? He was the guy that was going to buy the Holy Spirit. That didn't work out. Okay. Now, the other one, remember that young girl that was demon-possessed that was following Paul? And she says, thou art servants of the Most High God and knowest salvation. And I'm thinking, true, ka-ching. And what did Paul do after he was frustrated? He turned around and he said, basically just said, out, cast that demon out. You know, it just was, I've, I've read that, and this, this is the first time through Acts that it finally makes sense because it ties in with the rest of the Gospels. God doesn't want liars to speak the truth. Think of the ramifications of that. That city in which Paul was going to leave, if he would have allowed that demon to continue to speak the, part, the truth for the time being, guess what? That girl with a demon in, inside would have sat right here in this church, in that city, not this church, but you understand what I'm saying, and all of a sudden it would have begun to distort the truth a little at a time and pretty soon would have had influence. Watch these verses now with that in the back of your mind. God doesn't need liars, that's Satan, or demons, to speak truth because they're liars. Okay, now let's look, let's look at this. Several instances of what Jesus was tangling, and I'm saying tangling in the sense he spoke with authority to cast demons out. He never had rituals. He just said, out! Let's go to uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 11. And I want to tell you, the superiority of Jesus Christ over Satan is real, and there's no question about it. Remember, remember in the temptation, see, I'm getting hung up again, but it all fits together. Um, from the very beginning, what would be the first thing you do if Jesus Christ, he's literally been inaugurated. He's been baptized by John. He's inaugurated into his ministry. He's got three years of walking the earth before he, before he goes to the cross and gives up his life. What's the first order of business? Excuse me? No, even before that. But, that. but that's good. That was because that, that was a point of that was a real point of contention, actually. That, but, but not quite. What did he do before that? And it would, this is really cool. He was directed by the Holy Spirit. This was, this was literally a spirit-driven mission. And it was going to show right out of the box that he had power over Satan. And it was the three temptations that Satan in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting. I don't know how many of you have fasted for 40 days, but I'm going to guarantee the first temptation I would use if I was Satan as well was food, physical food. And Jesus, this is good. Now, sometimes in my business, two out of three ain't bad. But in Jesus, with three temptations, he was 3-0. and oh. Satan lost every single one, every single time. And how did he beat him? The same way you will beat him today as well and tomorrow and the next day through the power of the word of God. The more you know the Word of God, the stronger you are. The more you know the Word of God, the more you'll yield to the Spirit. That's the key, literally, folks, to handling demonic influence. If you're a non-Christian, how do you get rid of demons? And there are non-Christians that have demons today. Many. Many. Does it require that 
someone does an exorcism to cast that demon out? Now, just a second. Let's say that it even worked. And I do believe that Satan is using that as a ploy, even among the church. There are those that are casting out demons. Because first of all, what the first thing does is when you're casting a demon out, is the responsibility goes away. It's not my fault, it's the demon's fault. Right? It's not the way the Bible reads. It's not what it says. But even if, you, now again, I, I, the fact that a sorcerer can cast out a demon. You know, you can look it up on the internet if you want. You can get somebody to cast a demon out. But they're still from the demonic world. So isn't that of Satan? So Satan casts a demon out for a little while. And he just comes back. Or you get a new one. In fact, Jesus talks about that. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. This, this here just rocks my world. He's actually, this is interesting too. Oh, there's a lot going on in Matthew 12. I can't go into all of it. But literally, he is, he's brought to this whole test by the Pharisees by the fact in verse 22, Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. He says, then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed. Why did he do that, by the way? To prove that he was the son of God. To prove that he was the Messiah. To prove that he was literally, literally God. And, of course, the Pharisees said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And then he asked him, Well, what do you cast them out by then? <laughs> right? In fact, he goes down. And that's where the unpardonable sin is in chapter 12. You'll never reproduce that again. You know why? Because literally what they were doing was attributing the casting out of devils to G from Jesus' casting them out in the name of Beelzebub as opposed to the Holy Spirit. They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit because Jesus literally in that text says, Holy Spirit cast out the demons out of that man that was blind and dumb. And they were committing the unpardonable sin by literally giving credit to the devil for what the Holy Spirit did. Now, the unpardonable sin today, you can't physically literally produce or do. How you, the unpardonable sin for any person here or anywhere in this world ever that's ever lived is to pass away to die without Jesus Christ as Savior. That's the bottom line. But that's what they did. Now, watch how Jesus finishes this concourse. Here we go. Verse 43. Same thing taking place. Continues. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, that would be a demon that's gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He's looking for someone to inhabit. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out, and when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last day of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. I can't think of anything more clear than for an exorcism to take place. And you cast a demon out, and the individual in which the demon was cast out did not confess or repent of their sin and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be back. Why wouldn't they? An unsaved person, if you are hearing my voice wherever you're at today, there's only one way to be dispossessed of a demon, and that is to trust with your faith in Jesus Christ alone, and he takes ownership. The Holy Spirit will live within you, and that demon will not be there. Amen. If you're a Christian, and there's influences, you're not possessed, but there are. There's pressures. Our world is crazy today. I'd be foolish to say it isn't. And it can come in the most weird ways. The internet. All of the communication devices which can be used for good can be used for evil as well. And I have to say, where are you spending your time? What are you yielding to? 
Those are questions we must answer. And now I'll tell you the same thing. It's an individual as a Christian. Now, this is what's happened actually in this city right now. Let's go back to our text, just thinking about it, because it's the same for us. So Paul is doing these special miracles. And it was just this time frame. It was the apostolic era. Can you name the other two eras in which God was using special miracles, special works? Moses, remember? In Egypt, leading the children. through the through. You, If you get to... Uh, to even Joshua, you just followed God, right? It was weird stuff. I mean, you march around the city seven times and it falls down, you know, after seven days. That's a little weird, right? And, and the really cool part, this is still, see, I, I want to know this stuff, right? Because if they, would have, if they would have knocked the walls down, in other words, it's just sort of hyperbole, right? You know, just walk around it, you know, and then the, it, it, you're going to put, those walls would be pushed into the city. Guess what? That archaeological dig shows the walls pushed out. And there's no God? Why would you as a Jerichoite, I don't even know if that's the way you say them, but whatever. That's crazy, right? Because God got done what he wanted to do. But special miracles were Moses' era, Elijah and Elisha. Man, I'll tell you, the nation of Israel right then, remember before the 900 prophets were slain? I wonder about in America. Who do you guys serve in America today? Do you serve the Lord God? Or do you serve Baal? Or also known as money, power, sex. You could go on, right? And you know what the, the Israelites claimed? But we know them. Wouldn't it take some miracles like burning rocks to show that literally God is fully and completely in charge? And then they said, we believe in God. <laughs> it was just like when Paul's doing special miracles, guess what? We believe those works. We believe Jesus. Isn't it? Right? It's pretty cool. In fact, it got so bad. You've probably seen this on television where, you know, you can buy. I don't watch these programs, but once in a while you dial through them or whatever, or you hear about them, that you can buy a handkerchief for a 1000 bucks. And if you take that home, and when you're sleeping at night, you put it on your forehead, and whatever your condition is, you will be healed. Now, I want to show you the verse that that comes from. Oh, by the way, that's also nonsense. Okay, let's go back to Acts for a moment. Acts chapter 19, and let's look at it. God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. He surely did. Verse 12, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out from them. The only thing that they forgot to do on these television evangelists that are pretty clean cut, pretty suave, and they've got all the good things, and you don't get a sweaty handkerchief, because that's exactly what that word means, is as Paul was working on the tents, he would have had a rag, if you will, of which he would have wiped the sweat off his brow. That was part of the day's work. That was the labor, especially during the hot part of the day. They literally would go into the garbage and find these Paul kerchiefs and his apron, which he would have used for his work, and they would put them near. They were very superstitious, wouldn't you be, if you're, if you're following Diana and Artemis? They would actually place them on their loved ones or whatever, and God would overpower the superstition and still heal them. That's crazy, isn't it? God was doing some really big things to prove that he was, in fact, the very God that Paul was talking about for five hours every single day. In fact, he made such an impression, now we're entering the sons of Sceva. He was a Jew. He had seven sons. It says that he was chief of priests. I think that was self-entitled, probably. 
He might have been from the priestly family. Him being the high priest, doubtful. Where does he live, first of all? In Ephesus? Where does the high priest live? Jerusalem. <laughs> I think he's a self-described high priest. But nonetheless, they're exorcists. They're professionals. They don't know Jesus, so how effective is casting a demon out? It's all part of Satan's plan. It's all part of, did they believe they were doing it? I believe they did. There's a lot of people today that are actually believing that exorcisms are real. It's a joke. It's wrong because literally if you think about it, if the individual does not confess and repent of their individual condition, you have absolutely accomplished zero. So they say, whoa, look at this. Paul, he is awesome. And he's doing stuff in the name of Jesus. I know you've heard of that. It's like a formula, right? In the name of Jesus, I... Well, they tried that. <laughs> Their formula didn't work. They respond, the, the demon. I know Jesus. Boy, do I know Jesus. You know what I didn't do? I just remembered something. I didn't take any of those verses, did I? Because God doesn't need a liar to tell the truth. Let's do that. Just hold this spot right here. You make sure and bring me back, okay? <laughs> Let's do this real quick. Let's look at some verses. As soon as I find my glasses. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3 this time. Mark chapter 3 this, this time. And I'm not going to talk about the temptation, but it was important. Mark chapter 3 verse 11. Watch this now. Watch. We're just going to read several. And you see if there wasn't a message here. Mark chapter 3 verse 11. Mark chapter 3 verse 11. And unclean spirits, demons, when they saw him, he didn't call on them. He, they saw him, fell down before him and cried saying, thou art the son of God. And you say, that's true. Watch what he says. And he straightly charged him immediately that they should not make him known. Okay? Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Matthew 7, verse 22. <clears throat> Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Did you see that? If someone's claiming because they cast out devils or demons, that makes them a Christian. No, that's not what that says at all. In fact, you're not going to be in heaven just because you cast out a devil. Let's go to Luke chapter 4, verse 41. Luke chapter 4, verse 41. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, that means Messiah, the Son of God. And he rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. Why? See, that? I've read through the Gospels. I just said, well, that's true. God never needs a liar to tell the truth for one time. Isn't that true? Because if you know you're a liar, or if someone knows you're a liar, it sounds like a lie. God always used truth to provide truth, just like right now. Back to Acts chapter 19. Let's keep moving. They're going to get in on the action. They've probably got some candidates. Some, they've maybe advertised, saying we've got an updated formula. In fact, they even said, in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. There were seven sons of one Sceva, Jew, and the chief of the priests which did so. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, in some of the older manuscripts, it says that 
the two, there was two that fled out of that house. Whether it was two or seven, doesn't matter. The demons don't, don't, don't underestimate the power and strength of a demon. Um, I've, I've heard stories of just, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-old girls that could just whip four or five guys. Incredible strength, incredible strength. Demons are not anything to be messing with. But I'm not afraid of him for a second. Not for a second. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's what you want to claim. <laughs> That's the power. That's the strength. You know how many demons Jesus couldn't cast out? There wasn't one made because he made them. Every single angel was made by God. God is above and beyond. More powerful. That's kind of a bad advertising, though, isn't it? <laughs> you probably had people watching. Watch this. We've got a new formula. We're going to expand upon our demon expulsion. And this is really going to work because we watched it. We watched this guy by the name of Paul. He's got it figured out. What we're going to do is we're going to add some things. You guys can kind of watch from a distance. <laughs> that went wrong. That went bad. Literally just they fled. They were streaking without really wanting to streak, if you will. They lost big time. But watch what, now see, and, and you, you get caught up in that whole thing. And you know what doesn't happen is what God did to make this real to the rest of the people. Now, do you think Satan would have been okay with the demon leaving? Just like probably had done numerous times in these exorcists? I believe he would have. Because it makes it look at like it's, that's, that's valid. Now, there's these exorcists that are from a Jewish father that now are using, in Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches, we declare you to exit this man. And you could have some, some, some type of a phenomena happen. And, wow, look at those guys go. That's crazy. That's how Satan would have wanted it. Because guess what? Who would have been in the church next week? You see what I'm saying? That's how Satan is so sneaky. He's a snake. But God said, no, 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 no. We're going to have... The truth declared right here, right now. And the enemy fights the enemy. <laughs> Who else could have done it that way? Only God. But the name of Jesus Christ was magnified because of what happened. Because they could see what Paul could do because God had given him evidence. The evidence was behind Paul and people were healed. Demons were cast out. But now, when someone tried to use the formula, it went backwards and people are saying, that's nothing to make trifle of. That's nothing to make trifle of. Jesus' name is sacred, it is magnified, and it is to be honored. Watch what they do. This was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. It spread through the entire city. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. You better believe it was. In fact, it made such an impact. We're not sure of which group of people this is, but in verse 18 it says, that many that believed, in other words, they had believed, these that are believing in Christ, came and confessed and showed their deeds. What they were doing was opening that unopenable door that was locked to God, and they said, 
Jesus is bigger than anything that we could possibly imagine. He means business. I'm going to confess and repent of that. They came clean, if you will. And then there were those that no doubt as seeing that would have trusted Christ as Savior. We don't know which one, maybe both. But many of them, verse 8 19, also which use curious arts, magic, black magic, white magic, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, I don't know what that meant, but it, someone has taken a shot at some of my commentaries that I wrote, and it was anywhere from 138 years to 150 years of one man, a normal man, a rural worker's a rural worker's wages from 138 years to 150 years. You do the calculation on that, pick any number you want. If you want to do it on today's terms, even $20,000, that's $4.5 million that they just burned up. Do you think Jesus' name was magnified? Do you think it made a difference that day? Whether it was two or seven of those sons that were beaten and chased off naked and bloodied, God got the honor that day because you don't mess with Jesus. You don't mess with Jesus. Did they believe the Bible to be true, did, which wasn't even written, but did they believe Paul's words, which would become the Bible? We're reading them in Acts. We're looking at where he traveled. Bingo. Bingo. Do you think Ephesus was turned upside down? You better believe it. In fact, we're going to look at it next week. There's a whole lot of anger coming from the money people because they're making these little figurines of Diana, Artemis, and they're selling them. See, so you'd, you'd want to have one on the dash of your car. Velcro, you know, you could snap it. And if you move, you could put it there. It's the same as today, right? You've seen those little things in cars. I remember I was growing up and there was a Ford Fairlane 500, like a 1964, right? There was a man, a wife, that my father leased from, and he would, Albert was his name, Albert Langadol, and he was probably in his 80s then, right? He was an older man. But once in a while, he would take me to, to play, to, uh, play uh, baseball, peewee baseball. He loved to watch. And I still remember... He had that little white statue of Mary on that dash of that car. And it was there as long as I ever knew that man. Tell me the difference. Tell me the difference. Put Jesus in your heart. Put Jesus in your heart. That's the message. Magnify Jesus. In fact, that's how this verse ends. Verse 20 is so fantastic. I want it to happen in the Ruby Valley. I want it to happen in the Jefferson Valley. I want it to happen in every single valley in Montana, in every single state in the Union, in every single country on the face of this planet. And if it goes to the moon, if there's somebody there, let's do it there too. I think we should have left a Bible on the moon, just in case. Not kidding, but you get the idea? It should spread everywhere. Jesus is the answer. Let's take a look at verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Any place the word of God is, we will prevail. That's why Satan at all costs wants to stamp out the word of God. Hitler tried to get rid of all of the scriptures. There's been kings and emperors and dictators that have tried to wipe out the word of God. But I'm here to say there isn't anyone, anytime, anywhere, ever, that will ever be able to stamp out the word of God because it is eternal and will be here forever. Praise God. I want to take you, I want to close with this one thing, the sense of the believer's responsibility as well. A non-Christian cannot get saved by having demons cast out of them. That's not going to work. You just, I, read the, I read this text. Anyone that says that a non-believer, if they've got a demon, no, no, no. The only way to get rid of a demon, I don't need to be there. You don't need to be there. Jesus needs to be there. And when that person confesses and repents and trusts Christ as their Savior, guess what? The devil's gone. The demon is gone. 
You are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit, period. Now, what you do with that thereafter is just like us as Christians, who are we yielding to? How are we responding to those, to the worldly situations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life? First John is talking about that as well. That's why he completes that section with saying, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's the key. Do we yield that way? How do we know? How do we know who we're yielding to? Where did I say I was going to take you? Oh, I got two thoughts going on. Um, how do we know who we're yielding to? Where are you spending your time? Let's take a look at something. Let's go to Philippians. Now, remember Philippi. Remember that great ministry you had there? Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, and let's take a look. Philippians chapter 4, and let's take, uh, where do I want to go now? I lost that thought. Ah, what was I just talking about? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Because it was going on the other side. We talked about having the peace of God. Remember that? In chapter, seven, chapter 4, verse 7, the peace of God which passes all understandings to keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Remember that? Several weeks ago. That just doesn't happen. You just don't get it. You've got to go back to verse 4, and you rejoice in the Lord always. And you're thankful, and you're anxious for nothing. And guess what? Then the peace comes to you. But watch this. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, as a part of that whole thought, whatsoever things are true... Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. You know how you, you want to know who you're yielding to? That'll tell you right there. Are you, are you thinking on those things? Are we chasing around after demons? See, the only thing that demon expulsion is about is just blaming the demon for whatever, whatever you're responsible for or that other person. We're responsible for our own spiritual condition. The demon has influence only as much as we allow them to. 1 John chapter 1, verse, verse 9, confess your sins and he is faithful to forgive us our sins. That's for Christians. That's not for non-Christians. That's for us. We get, we get dirty and the first thing that happens is our fellowship with God gets wiped away because that's Satan's goal is to drive us away from the God that we know and love and he saved us. But if we've got a pocket, if we've got a room that hasn't been in, clean that bad boy out. Whatever you've got to do, get the biggest, meanest vacuum cleaner you know of. It's called the Holy Spirit, by the way. Let him in there. Clean it out. Confess, repent, and guess what happens? You'll have peace like you've never had before. You'll be thinking about things that are amazingly pure and wholesome. And it'll take you closer and closer to God, and guess what? There's no demons will influence you when you confess and repent of the things you need to do. It's personal responsibility. Now, God's given you even weapons. He's given you defensive weapons. He's given you offensive weapons. It's not anybody else's responsibility but yours to put them on. Let's see that. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll close here. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go to verse 10 first, because it's important that we see where the strength is from. As that young man... I did, uh, I took him to, remember I, I kind of stopped that story in midstream too, a white lie versus a murder or, or uh, adultery. And he said, well, it's very different. That's not what James says. In James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, for if you offend in one point of the law, you are guilty of all. Look that up. Keep it in, keep it, actually, when someone sees there's differences between sins, you just circle that verse and you say, what does that mean? In fact, I asked that young man, I said, I read it. I said, I'll take your Bible, let's, let's, let's look at it in your Bible and let's read it. What does that mean? And he took, I, I don't know. I said, you need to figure that out because sin is the problem and there's only one person that can take that away exclusively and singularly and absolutely, and that's Jesus Christ. Meet him. And he took off. I hope he found Jesus. 
I hope Jesus found him is a better way to say it. But let's take a look now. The weapons that you give, that he's given. Verses 10, it says, finally, my brother. Now, this is a letter to the Ephesians. He spent three years there. I can't imagine. The pastor teacher Paul is being three years in Ephesus. He says, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Ah, there's a strong verse. Put on the whole armor of God, not half of it, not a quarter of it, not what you want, but put the whole armor on that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Not someone else, not for someone else. Watch verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You better believe it. Wherefore, because of that, take on to you the whole armor of God. You, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand where they're putting your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." Who's responsible to put on the, on the, on the uh, armor of God? You are. He's provided everything you need. And when you do fall, you stumble, he's going to be the first to pick you up, but you'll have to confess and repent. That fellowship is rejoined. Satan, again, is that he's, he's gone. That demon can have no influence on you. Now, there's attacks. There's no question. In fact, usually because you're praying for me, this is what you guys are doing. You're praying for me that the message that the Holy Spirit wants to give to us today is given. That's my prayer. That is my prayer. That's one of the reasons that I'm, I'm back there to the very last minute. I'm praying that God gives us what he wants us to do, what he wants us to know. Nothing more important to me than that. Now, when he does that, Sunday afternoons, evenings, and Mondays are rough. That's why I need your prayers every day of the week. That's why Paul prayed that the boldness would continue. Because that's what Satan, he wants to take the edge off. He wants the word not to have the power that it's supposed to have. But it helps me to know where it comes from. If he leaves me alone on a Sunday afternoon, I'm like, ooh, that was bad. <laughs> right? I wasn't listening. Whatever that is. So in other words, really, because Jesus said, if you are in me, you will have tribulation from this world. And I'm glad we do because it shows us we're on the right path. But what we lift each other up with prayer, every single one of us in this room and beyond, whoever hears my voice knows we all need prayers from each other. Don't we? We really do. One of the things that my prayer was at, at the bull sale before, and it just popped in my mind. I was actually, well, I went to the, to the restroom just before I went into the, to the, it was just like this. this. This came in my thought, and I think it's something we need to pray for. I pray that God would raise up men and women across this land in our communities, our counties, our states that would stand firm and boldly That's for things that are true and are right. I can't think of anything more pertinent than our world today in the United States than that. Standing on the word of God. That's my prayer for you. You don't need to be running from any devils or demons. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. In a non-Christian, there's only one thing they need to do is fall on their knees and confess and repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus, and the demons are gone. Let's pray. Father God, you are mighty. You are strong. You provided Jesus Christ, your very son, who must have been an amazing amount of pain that you felt, where you literally, as he carried the weight of, 
of the sin of the world for three hours where you broke association with him as he bore that alone the devastation of that loss of communion between you for those hours must have been amazing and yet it says you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world when the angels were praising you and in joy applauding what you were building in the universe you already knew what would happen you already knew at the at the hands of men Jesus Christ the Messiah the one that was promised the anointed one the one that had come to make his kingdom would die for those that were in sin Father what a plan use us Father this week I don't know how that'll look for each one of us, but I know it's making Jesus bigger. That Jesus would increase and we would decrease, as John the Baptist said. We humbly bow before you, asking us, Father, to, to do what you want us to do, to be what you want us to be. Change us where we need to be changed. That you would be glorified, you would be magnified. And literally, this world would be changed one person at a time. We trust you, we love you, we yield to you. In your name we pray.